Okay, fancy folk, I am here with Nataraj Chaitanya, and uh, we are gonna talk about why Tantra. And first, I'd love for you to get to know him because he's incredible, so um, Nataraj, why don't you share a little bit about yourself? Uh, <laughs> well, I, uh, I've been teaching yoga uh, since before yoga was popular, I can say that now, which is weird, but I started teaching yoga when I was, uh, 15. That's when I did my teacher training and I'm, uh, going to be 31 this year. So I've been, uh, I've been around yoga culture for a really long time. I started mantra meditation when I was 12 in Virginia, mm-hmm. growing up, going to Catholic school. <laughs> Just being a good Catholic. <laughs> and uh, you know, things just kinda snowballed from there. So now it's a now it's a whole a whole life. A whole life of yoga. And what got you into the practice of yoga and reciting mantra? Uh I went to a Catholic school in a small southern town in Virginia and I was very terribly picked on for being gay. And uh that led to a whole host of mental health issues and then um a friend's mom saw that I was suffering, and for my birthday, she gave me a uh, little kit that talked about the history of uh, repeating prayers or mantras over beads throughout the world. It's been expressed in most of the world's cultures. And included in them, in this little kit was a sandalwood mala uh, with you know 108 plus one beads. Uh, and it talked about mantras and prayers that could be said over them and um, one of them was Om Namah Shivaya. And so yeah, the poetic translation that the little booklet gave for this mantra was uh, salutations to that which I'm capable of becoming. Mm. And so I started to do japa really, really intensely as a just like a 12-year-old. <laughs> and I wore the sandalwood mala all the time. I never took it off. And, um, you know, when your body temperature increases, the aroma of sandalwood would permeate everywhere. And so I'd smell it and calm down and I just began to meditate and chant really, really intensely. And then it wasn't until a couple of years later that I even knew mantra was a part of yoga or yoga was a part of mantra. You know, I, and I started to learn yoga from my Graham teacher growing up a dancer and mm-hmm. uh, he taught yoga before Graham class. And so eventually I wanted to just take yoga to yoga studio because it helped my dancing so much. And mm-hmm. I happened to come into the good company of... Um, Lisa Asha Rapp at My Yoga Spirit in Norfolk, Virginia. <laughs> and uh, she was a devotee of Swami Satchidananda. And so she was really presenting the whole package of yoga. And so that's when the whole, all the pieces came together mm. mantra and meditation and yoga. And she was a badass. She is a badass Jivamukti yoga teacher. And she lived at the ashram with Swami Satchidananda for some time. And so she, uh, she set me on the way. Hmm. Okay, so in our conversation today is about Tantra. How did that um, express itself or move into the practice of Trikashaivism, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what is, can you maybe give a couple of vocabulary lessons on like, what does Tantra mean? What does Trikashaivism mean? How are they the same and how are they different okay. if they are? Yeah, so Tantra Tantra is a, a kind of school or darshana, a philosophical perspective that comes from India. The earliest Tantric texts that we have are from the early medieval period in India, but we can make a very good educated guess that 
there was a long-standing oral practice tradition before then, but you know, at some point someone decided to write something down. And um, Tantra um, came about almost in, um, in response to Brahminical culture, which was like the kind of um, well-established social and spiritual tradition of India at the time. And um, it made, it had a couple of key differences from yoga and Samkhya and Vedanta, which is part of Brahminical culture. Uh, and that Tantra, it, the kind of Tantra Shaivism, Trika Shaivism is a non-dual philosophy. So it says there's only one thing and we're all it. And we're practicing this method or this philosophical view, these practices, so that we can come to experience ourself and everything around us as that expression of the one life that exists, um, <clears throat> that we are a part of and we are in its totality. So the fullness of divine essence is contained inside of us in our our little uh, meat bundle of a body. <laughs> and we're trying to, we're trying to experience that. And um, Trika Shaivism is just a kind of Tantra that says that ultimate reality is known as Shiva. It's been known by a lot of different names throughout India and throughout wisdom traditions across the world. And there are all kinds of Tantra. There's Shiva Tantra, Shakta Tantra, Vaishnava Tantra, Buddhist Tantra, other kinds of Tantra. But uh, they call the ultimate reality in the tradition that I come from Shiva. And so Shiva is not um, a form like you would see like a statue of Nataraja or a Shiva Lingam or something. It's uh, that ultimate reality that is simultaneously transcendental and imminent in nature, which means it's above and beyond all of the mire of this world. And it's also present as everything that happens. Mm. Okay. So that's the big picture stuff right off the bat. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the best way to go about it. And so um, Brahminical culture, what we could call like Vedanta and Samkhya and Yoga, as taught by Sri Patanjali in the Yoga Sutras, is a dualistic tradition. So Tantra was radical because it was non-dual. There's only one thing and we're all it. And those systems were dualist in nature, which they said... There was reality that does exist, but it's not this, <laughs> right? Mm. There is an is it real test of those philosophical schools. And the is it real test is does this thing change? And so if anything changes, they thought that it had to be what's called maya or illusion. And so yogic practice builds discernment and a quality of consciousness where you can extract reality from unreality or be ushered from unreal to real. Um, my comment on that is I, I have started to uh, consider Vedanta, Samkhya, and yoga sort of like stranger things. You know, they're like, <laughs> like there are these two parallel universes and yeah. we're like trying to get out of one. And yeah. every time I watch stranger things, I'm like, okay, this is, this is the world that I not necessarily came from, but was threaded through. And I think the comment I would make is that most yoga teacher trainings, which is how we in the US specifically are experiencing a lot of yoga is through the Patanjali lens, which is not right, wrong, good, bad, but it 
presents this model of dualism. Right. And, um, and it's reality denying in its nature. What I mean by that is you're trying to get rid of all the things that you aren't neti neti. Yes. So it's like, not, not this, not this. Not this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're just trying to get rid of all of this stuff that you aren't. And so you, uh, you have a very rigorous sadhana or spiritual practice and moral code that are in service of you leaving society behind so you can pursue that reality which is somewhere else in some other quality of your mind but not here right now. Whereas Tantra, on the other hand, is, you know, it says Shiva hum. This is Shiva. This is Shiva. There's nothing that exists that is not Shiva. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to practice and and live our lives with an openness of mind and heart in such a way where we can experience the Shiva-ness of everything, mm-hmm. the divine in everything. So what I find interesting about all of this is that I think as I have experienced yoga and yoga practice in a modern westernized way is that Tantra has seemingly woven its way in even as Patanjali tends to be the prevailing perspective that we come from and yet and and yet this idea that I am God you are God everything is God that concept has been very prevalent in my experience even as I've learned yoga through the lens of Patanjali so I'm just curious if you have an idea of why that is is that because the ultimate reality is that the tantric perspective do you think we've kind of blended schools is it all those things yeah um that's a great question so I mean what I was kind of talking about was historical the historical difference between the two eventually you know one system loses popularity the other system gains popularity and eventually they kind of meet in the middle Mm -hmm. you know there's a kind of a philosophical kind of cultural exchange that occurs and you know even now like temple culture of india brahminical culture is very very influenced by tantra Mm. and uh, lots of times people don't even know that it's tantra which is funny but uh, also a lot of the people who taught who taught Yoga Sutras, Bhagavad Gita, Samkhya to the West, they also, because of their own lineages, also had a tantric influence. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, if you're dealing, you know, tantra had some key components and now they're very well absorbed into yoga. And so there isn't really a very like pure yoga that exists anymore. If you're dealing with energy bodies or chakras or mantras or deity yoga where you are trying to consider yourself as God, not separate from God. That's all Tantra. Mm-hmm. Bija mantras, Tantra. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that there are more subtle aspects of your being is Tantric in nature. Hmm. So it's, it's everywhere. <laughs> would, you, uh, would you classify Hatha Yoga Pradipika as like one of the former texts of Tantra? Or, or... Yes, Hatha Yoga Pradipika was kind of a... It, it's a summary text of a lot of different tantras. So it, it was never meant to just be a text to be studied on its own, but it assumed that you had studied a bunch of other, and it was kind of like a refrigerator manual that kind of <laughs> referenced all of the other ones mm-hmm. and all the other components and things that could be at play from your study of uh, the, the kind of Nuff scriptures. Hmm. So to be a practitioner of Trika Shaivism, what, what does that look like? It means you meditate. <laughs> it means that you um, 
courageously choose to start where you actually are every single day. So, you know, in classical yoga or samkhya, you had to leave society, you had to become a renunciant to, you had to renounce the world and um, regular society to even pursue yoga. Tantra is radical because it says start where you are. Um, that this experience that you're having is the divine coming to you in that form and you're trying to open yourself in such a way where you can receive that however it is so the totality of life is to be consumed and digested so that we can expand and we can feel how powerful we are and how we at the same time yes we are all powerful but we are a part of everything and nothing exists that is not us but not us as like a limited mind like an I me my ego Mm -hmm. the ahamkara but us as that shiva quality so that's realized through meditation it's it's through ritual it's through chanting um through anything that that's going to help you experience yourself as a process rather than an object that's the big thing like you like life is a process and you are part of that process you are the continuum of that process always happening and then the in the school that i come from they refer to this as the five acts of lord shiva that God is doing it, therefore you must do it, and you're always engaged in this eternal cycle of creation, sustenance, dissolution, and at the same time, concealment of your real nature, and sometimes you wake up to it, or you remember, and that's grace. So those five things are going on continually, every moment, uh, an infinite amount of times, Mm -hmm. in all scenarios, in all things. So Mm -hmm. the more you can feel yourself as a process, that's what's gonna unstick you from your suffering. Because you're not an object, you're not a circumstance, you're not what happened to you, you're not what's going to happen to you. You are that flow of life itself. Hmm. Something we talked about in the weekend you were here when we did the yoga of sound was that um, we are in a state of remembering instead of, you know, the words really we're in a tower of Babel all the time because you know any words I say could be depending on where you come from how you grew up are going to be interpreted differently right but if I if we're talking about transformation and becoming we'll talk about yoga blunders later (laughs) becoming your highest self or transforming the really the idea is that we're transforming into who we already are it's for it's a letting go it's a releasing or remembering so good yogic practice and i mean yoga as the broad umbrella now when i'm speaking Mm -hmm. of yoga whether you're doing yoga or tantra good yogic practice is grounded in view orientation and view orientation means your perspective your full understanding of what you bring to the table as a practitioner is what will guide the path that you're on so a lot of people come to yoga and they think that they somehow have to fix themselves or heal themselves or improve themselves in some way. And to the yogi, they, through the discernment of yoga, you start to recognize that's really just self-hatred, just dressed up in drag. Mm. What we're really trying to do is just drop the tension that obscures our experience of what we already are. And that's fullness or wholeness or perfection. Mm. Yeah, that that has always been the reason. That is why I keep coming back to the practice and why I got into it was this remembering, you know, going through an eating disorder and remembering I'm not, I am not these things. And I've actually forgotten who I am in this process. And the yoga was the practice of remembering my enoughness, my fullness. Yeah. Um, which I think is just constantly what I, what keeps inviting me back to the practice. 
I guess my question to that is, do you do you see your practices within Trika Shaivism and yoga separate? Are they the same when we're when we're talking about those two things? Are they the same things, or are they? How does that work? Um, I think the Patanjali school of, of the way I like to think about it is like Vedanta and Samkhya. They teach you very useful skills that give you sustainability as a as a sadhaka as a practitioner of yoga they are like your scales and arpeggios and chords so like and the yogi understands self-discipline is the highest form of love that you can have Mm -hmm. because from technique comes freedom tantra is that playing jazz afterwards like being Mm -hmm. able to show up and improvise once you know the rules, you can responsibly break the rules. Now, a lot of people don't do the work and they just go kind of straight to Tantra and they don't have good view and then they use it as a license to behave badly and touch people and whatever. That's, no, you miss the mark. Mm. But the idea with Tantra is to align with the state of Swatantriya, mm. of being totally free. And, and you get to be diversity at play. And that's super empowering. And the point of Tantra is so that you can experience Shakti, which is part of, part and parcel of Shiva. It gets the inseparable part. It's like fire and it's heat. But Shakti means power or potency. And so through the practices of Tantra, you feel your own Shakti or power. And that becomes so great that you have freedom. Freedom to move with the flow of life itself rather than against it. Mm. That was really beautiful. Um, <laughs> So why do we separate, I, I heard you in the beginning, but I think I want to get clarity for myself, honestly. Why do we separate Trika Shaivism from the phrase Tantra? Like how, oh. how are those two things different? Are they different? Um, yeah, well, Trika Shaivism is just a kind of Tantra. There are, other, there are other schools of Tantra that we'll call ultimate reality different things and texts and practices that revolve around whatever ultimate reality is in that lineage. It could be Krishna, it could be Vishnu, it could be the goddess, some form of Shakti. Um, you know, I also do practices that are from a Sri Vidya tradition, and at the heart of that is the goddess uh, Tripura Sundari. So, you know, um, it's just, it's all lineage specific. And the idea is you should come in contact with a, a lens that uses your interests and your attractions to life to help you come into deeper communion with life. You know, so um, your association with a lineage is because it has come alive for you. It is what's called Chaitanya. It's conscious, the practices, the philosophy, etc. And so, you know, when you are in proximity of that kind of wisdom, you feel your own aliveness. You feel your fullness. So that's how you know you're in the right, you're in the right path. When you can make contact with that. And, you know, there's only one ultimate reality. It's just been, it's been revealed to us or dialed or downloaded through lots of different lenses. But we're all looking at the same thing. Mm. I deeply believe that. So you've taught in New York. You've taught in Chicago. You've taught here in Indianapolis. I'm sure you've taught other places I don't know of. What If you could, if you could clear up one thing about maybe miss perceptions of tantra or a misperception of tantra what would that be uh tantra's close association in the west with sex 
lots of people they hear tantra and they think sex it's mm-hmm. i don't even it's some part of part of because of brahminical culture was in power and still is in power at the time when tantra started to gain popularity as a way to affirm one's place in this life and how free one was there were transgressive practices that people engaged in because it was empowering you know if there was a system in place that was being weaponized to oppress people with an idea of purity and they were saying you know the only people who can pursue the highest reality are men and only a certain kind of men born into a certain uh, caste you know they tantra boldly just did the opposite Mm -hmm. and that meant um everything was it's either all sacred or it's not and that means booze is sacred that means sex is sacred and so they ritualized a lot of these things not every school of tantra did but there are forms of tantra that still exist today also where like one can feel great power in in enjoying the sacredness uh of sex and sexual energy Mm. um you know some people just like I guess read a couple of verses in some of these tantras and like that's what they fixated on and somehow that ended up as being the the narrative of tantra in the west but there have been real real tantra teachers in the west who are fabulous um who have who are still actively trying to kind of like set the record straight but it basically has nothing to do with sex and even in the traditions where sexual practices were um at play they weren't practices that were for everyone. Mm-hmm. They were practices only for a certain, um, a certain constitution of practitioner. I think that's one one part of Westernized yoga that's gotten lost is that not all practices are for everybody. Oh yeah, because we've created studio style yoga where you come in and you do all the poses and you do all the things, and it's like this is not a one size fits all. No matter what path you go down, there. Yeah. That to me is really curious because there's not a one size fits all to eat. There's not a one size fits all to have sex. There's not a one size fits all to sleep. Like all of our habits and behaviors throughout our day are not one size fits all. And yet there's a portion of our culture that tries to make that, you know, oh, yeah. to we're try always, to make fetch a thing. We're putting square pegs in round holes all the time. All the time. All the time. And I mean like to the point where we're changing the meaning of what some of like for instance the yoga sutras we have obscured the yoga the real meaning of some of these sutras so much uh, from what they actually mean like if you just googled like brahmacharya oh yeah all kinds of weird things would come up it actually means celibacy it mm-hmm. means celibacy and like it's you know it's because you had to leave society to practice this kind of yoga but like we're still trying to like make it work or make it make ourselves feel like it's for us Mm. when it's not it's you know tantra is a path for householders Mm. and so we should be doing tantric practices if we are living in this world and having to deal with regular life stuff you know but that's the american dream i guess (laughs) putting our stamp on everything yeah (laughs) what would if someone were to want to start a practice with tantra what would you say would be um a first step um, find a community and a teacher uh, who can teach Tantra. Tantra, uh, a big part of Tantra revolves around diksha or initiation. And the, you know, the, the way that you come to 
to be intimate with life is through learning. And that itself is one of the most intimate acts that you can do. And so you have to be, become a student, become a student to a real teacher and, um, and receive practices that are alive for them. So, you know, when we engage in loving behavior or things that set our hearts on fire, it inspires the hearts of other people to catch fire. And that's the idea of transmission in the yogic tradition. And so you want to be around real people who are doing time, real teachers who are doing time-tested practices um, that have set their hearts on fire. And if you hang out with them, yours will too. It's only a matter of time. Could you um, close this out with maybe some, you mentioned some teachers who are here in the West who are doing this work well, and um, could you mention maybe some names of teachers to to get curious about and maybe some books or, or other resources in which people can take a, I don't know, a leap? Yeah. Um, I would... Uh... Look, read the book uh, Consciousness is Everything by Swami Shankarananda um, uh, I would uh, read Shakti Rising by my dear friend Kavita Chinmayan and uh, Sally Kempton is incredible Meditation for the Love of It or Shakti Rising uh, Shambhavi Saraswati she is a fabulous she has a wonderful community um, Swami Chaitanananda is a wonderful Sri Vidya teacher. He teaches in Tantra here in the West. And uh, yeah, I think that's a great, a great start. Okay. Yeah. Any, any last thoughts on Tantra? Any, any of it that we covered that you want to illuminate? That there's nowhere else to go and there's nothing else to do. But the work right like you could spend your whole life avoiding this or that or pursuing this or that but you carry yourself with you in all of those situations so the best thing that we could do for ourselves and for our planet and for all the people who have to put up with us is just to do sadhana do spiritual practice so when you access the heart and when you recognize it being offered back to you in every situation that you have a lot more to give Mm-hmm. And that's the point. Like life is service. And so if we could all just access that place, our own infinitude, our own worthiness, I think we could uplift uh, a very weary planet. Mm-hmm. So do your practice. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Nataraj Chaitanya, and thank you those that are listening. And, you know, peace. <laughs>